Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theatre. Opening January 27, 1945, at Broadway's New Century Theatre, up in Central Park, with a book by Herbert and Dorothy Fields, lyrics by Dorothy Fields, and music by Sigmund Romberg, is set in the Boss Tweed era of New York City in the 1870s. In the story, John Matthews, a New York Times reporter, is investigating Tweed's crooked political machine, especially the fraud connected with constructing Central Park. While on the beat, he falls in love with the daughter of one of the boss's ward healers, and all kinds of complications ensue in this romantic musical comedy. On Broadway, the settings, costumes, and dances were made to evoke the lithographs of Courier and Ives, the successful American printmaking firm based in New York City from 1835 to 1907. The musical, originally called simply Central Park, before arriving on Broadway, was Romberg's last stage work produced during his lifetime. A popular favorite in its day, following a move to the Broadway Theater and a 504 performance run that closed April 13, 1946, the show was almost immediately revived one year later at City Center with much of the same team intact before being made into a 1948 film musical starring Deanna Durbin, Dick Hames, and Vincent Price. Universal Studios paid $100,000 for the property and wanted Fred Astaire to direct the film which was going to be made in Technicolor. The studio changed the names of some characters in the script that were based on real people in order to avoid legal hassles with their descendants. The characters Mayor A. Oakley Hall was simply changed to Oakley, and Big Jim Fisk was changed to Fitz, among others. Also, the studio changed the story from the Broadway musical to focus on two Irish immigrants who come to New York, are originally fans of Tweed, then come to see his corruption. During pre-production, Universal Studios merged to become Universal International, and the new head of production, William Getz, decided to make the film in black and white, as it was cheaper and because films were taking several months to come back from the Technicolor Lab. With all the backstage goings-on, Universal never secured Fred Astaire, and instead, in March 1947, William Seater, who had directed the film adaptations of the Broadway musicals Sonny, Girl Crazy, and Roberta, was signed as director. Helen Tamaris, who choreographed the stage show, and Howard Bay, who did the stage design, both worked on the film version, and that is the radio adaptation we bring you now. Here on the June 28, 1948 episode of the Screened Guild Theater are, from the film cast, Deanna Durbin and Dick Hames, with Charles Irwin in Up in Central Park. From Hollywood, Camel Cigarettes presents the Screen Gill Players. Our stars, Deanna Durbin, Dick Haynes, and Charles Irwin. 
our play, Up in Central Park. Our host, the Camel Cigarette. Experience is the best teacher. Try a Camel. Let your own experience tell you why more people are smoking Camels than ever before. Yes, let your T-Zone tell you why. That's piece of taste and piece of throat, where you judge any cigarette. Try a Camel and see how your taste enjoys Camels. It's full flicker. See what your throat has to report on Camel's cool, cool mildness. Tonight, Camel Cigarettes presents the Screen Guild players in one of the red-letter events of the radio season. Universal International's great new musical hit, Up in Central Park. A delightful musical story of old New York in the 1870s, starring Dick Ames as the reporter and Deanna Durbin as the girl, with Charles Irwin as her father, Timothy Moore. The Camel Screen Guild players in Up in Central Park. <laughs> victory hymn. We've been hearing that song too often in those days, back around 1870, that was. Every election night, in fact, his boss Tweed and the party celebrated another crooked victory at the polls. I was doing what I could to fight them. As a reporter for the New York Times, I told our readers plenty about William Marcy Tweed. Read all about it in the Times. How far we has stolen the city government. Yes, I knew it was wrong, and I just couldn't prove it. It's a pretty rotten mess, all right. You might wonder where Rosie Moore came in. Rosie Moore and her father fresh from abroad. Fresh from the fragrant, old-clouded tilt. Well, as a matter of fact, they came in that same day on the immigration launch from Ellis Island. And Rosie, standing at the rail, catching her first breathless glimpse of New York, said what millions of others have said before her, except that she said it in her own special way. See what I see. If this is America, this is for me. It's a great land of plenty, and plenty is what at the moment it's covered After I've had my feet on it for a while. Oh, it's a wonderful place. Everyone wears fine clothes and, and gets to be a millionaire. Well, then, let's be gone and get in our chair. Come along, girl. They're preparing to land. Right this way, my friend. Right this way. 
way for transportation. Just step along to the omnibuses. We'll be glad to take you any place in the city. Father, did you hear that? Oh, isn't it wonderful? Come along, friend. There's plenty of room. Here, let me take your trunk, sir. Come along, folks. Oh, you don't. Now, we're not millionaires yet. We'll not be wasting our money on cabs. Well, you don't understand. There's no charge for this service. It's just a little welcome to new arrivals. Provided absolutely free by Mr. William Marcy Tree. You just say so. Rosie, that's mighty decent of Mr. Creed, isn't it? Yes, Father. Mr. Creed must be a very great man. Great? Why, he's the boss of the whole country. You just say so. Uh, what is name in this, this booklet they gave us? Uh, no, that's the Constitution of the United States. That was written almost a hundred years ago. It's completely out of date. Now, uh, shall we go along? Well, if you could let us down at some nice boarding house. Some place where it is not too expensive. Oh, you'll have plenty of time for that later. Now, first you'll want to go and vote the straight party ticket. Vote? But how can my father vote when he's leaving the city? Well, uh, he won't be voting himself. He'll be voting somebody else's name. You know. You see, there are lots of good party men, all registered voters who are too sick to come to the polls. And then there are lots of them who passed away, heaven rest their souls. But just because a man's had the misfortune to die, that's no reason to deny him his vote, is it now? That that wouldn't be showing the proper respect for the dead. No, no. Now, you'll be doing a very charitable thing when you vote. But uh, we don't expect you to be too charitable. We're going to make you a present of two dollars. Two dollars. Rosie, how much is that in money? About eight shillings, Father. Do you think so? Tell me, mister... Is there any limit on how many times a man can vote for these here dead party men? Of course not. This is a free country. Well, then, let's not be wasting so much time. Come along, mister. Let's go and vote. And so Timothy Moore went out and voted. He voted quite enthusiastically, too. In fact, he voted 26 times. Now, even for the party, that was the record. So naturally, Mr. Moore came to Boss Tweed's attention. And as it happened, he fit it right into Tweed's plan. Extremely loyal, extremely zealous, and uh, obviously too stupid to ask any questions. Gentlemen, I'm going to make him superintendent of Central Park. Well, are we working on Central Park now, Boss? We will be, Rogan. Can't go on improving the courthouse forever. (laughs) We've already drawn seven million from that. So now we'll just rebuild Central Park. Well, what's wrong with the park? Well, I'm surprised at you, man. Haven't you heard? There's too much dirt under the grass. next day, Mr. Moore was installed in a superintendent's cottage in Central Park. By the chance, he thought, the most fantastic look. Yes, luck to him and luck for me, too. You see, that was how I first met Rosie. It was just a week or so later, I think, and I was walking in the park that afternoon and I... John, listen, excuse me. You were sitting on a bench. I was walking. <laughs> That's right, Rosie. You were walking. Till you saw the carousel. You know, you were just like a little girl. You rushed right over, bought a ticket, and got on. Well, I must say you weren't very far behind me. I glanced around, and there you were. You looked at me. Uh, you looked at me. <laughs> and then, very softly, you started to sing. The stately old trees walked around in the breeze near the small carousel in the park. Why can't you hear the music? 
Why didn't you tell me you could sing like that? Because I'm not in the habit of talking to strangers. Well, then, that's something we ought to remedy. I'm John Matthews. I'm a newspaper man. My parents are married, and I've never been in jail. Now, if you'll tell me about yourself, we won't be strangers anymore. I, I'm sorry. I really must be going on. Oh, but you can't just run away like this. Will I see you again? No, I'm sure I can't say. Unless... Unless what? Unless you're out here tomorrow. Same time. Well, I walked around on there for a while after that. Didn't even notice where I was going until suddenly I found myself in the park zoo. There was only one other person there. Funny old duffer feeding the animals in their cages. I watched him for a minute or two, and then I couldn't help saying to him, Excuse me. But I think that sign says, don't feed the animals, doesn't it? If it wasn't a judge, would it be a client to the superintendent? You mean you're the superintendent? The name is Moore. Timothy Moore. I'm superintendent of this here whole town. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Moore. I, I didn't know. I, I never expected to find such, a, such an important man actually working with his hands. Well, now, ordinarily, I stay in the office and just superintend. But I like to feed the wild birds myself. Ah. And them ducks will be even wilder than usual if I don't hurry up and give them their grapes. Great. I thought ducks ate grain. Ah, that they do. But they taste much better when they've been fed on grain. But uh, who's going to taste them? The boss. Mr. Tweed? You mean he's the animals from the zoo? No, no, not all of them. Only the ducks and the pheasants and the grouse. I see. Well, uh... Nice to have met you, Mr. Moore. Oh, you just got here, lad. You're not living already. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to. You take care of the ducks and pheasants. I'm going to cook Buddy's goose. Nice story you did on that part, too, Matthews. The sort of thing that people remember. Well, thank you, sir. I don't imagine Mr. Tweed will have any appetite for wild ducks today. <laughs> I hope not, sir. Now, if I can just get proof, facts and figures on the really big deals. I'm looking for Mr. John Matthews. Oh, I'm John Matthews. Well, hello. What are you doing here? I didn't expect to see you to... Huh? I think you're a mean, low, rotten snake. What did you have against my father? Why did you have to get him in trouble? What? Everything was so wonderful and, and you got him fired. Fired? From what? I... Hey! Look, I... Wait a minute. This could easily become a habit. Look, look, I, I didn't get your father fired. I don't even know your father. Don't try to lie. You wrote a story about him in this morning's paper. This morning's paper? Oh. Yes. Then, then he must be the little... Yes, he is. And next time, pick on someone your own size. <laughs> well, now there's a broth of a girl who's really seen him. 
Uh, a friend of yours, Matthew? No, sir, I wouldn't exactly say friend. That's the girl I'm going to marry. In just a moment, Deanna Durbin, Dick Haynes, and Charles Irwin will return to the Camel Screen Guild microphone in Act Two of Up in Central Park. Deanna Durbin was a screen star at an age when most girls are just starting out of the lesson. Now, in the finished perfection of her performance, she proves how important all that early experience has been. Yes, experience is the best teacher, whether it's in singing and acting or in choosing a cigarette. Millions of people smoke camels because they learn through experience that camels suit them best. They tried different brands of cigarettes, tried and compared them for flavor, for mildness, and for all-round smoking enjoyment. And they learned that camels are best for rich, full flavor and cool, cool mildness. Yes, millions have learned that Camel's choice tobacco, properly aged and expertly blended, are just what they want in a cigarette. More people are smoking Camel's than ever before. Experience is the best teacher. Try a Camel yourself. Let Camel's rich, full flavor and cool, cool mildness show you why more people are smoking Camel's than ever before. And remember, Camel's by the carton are the best buy. It saves you money and keeps the supply on hand. Hi, this is Porchlight Music Theater's marketing associate, Lobo Tate. If you value programming like this, please consider making a donation today at porchlightmusictheater.org. We appreciate your consideration, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now, Camel Cigarettes present Dick Haynes, Deanna Durbin, and Charles Irwin in Act Two of Up in Central Park. <laughs> I suppose that love sometimes happens that way, humbly, blindingly, between a couple of slaps. When Rosie walked out, my face was singing, but that was nothing compared to my heart. And so that evening found me back in Central Park, hopefully on the superintendent's door. Yes, I'll be out of it. Oh, it's you. What are you doing here? I want to talk to you. Well, I don't want to talk to you. Look, look, I'm, I'm sorry about this morning. I'm, I'm sorry you had to be upset, but... I, I can't say I'm sorry your father lost his job. That that was a good thing for him. You mean to stand there and besides, say... besides, I've got him another job, a, a good, honest job with the time. You yeah? have? What? Well, that that would be rather obvious. You have a very charming daughter. Oh, believe me, when I met you yesterday. I know. You fell no. head over heels. You began to see stuff. No, that was when you slapped me. No, but uh, even then, I, I, I thought you were wonderful. I'm not. But I'm glad you think I am. Oh, Rosie. Oh, John. You shouldn't. Do it again. Miss Moore? Uh, uh, oh, yes? Uh, Mr. Tweed sent me to fetch you, Miss. Oh, I, uh, you'll have to wait. I'm not quite ready. Right, John. What is Tweed's carriage doing here? I was going to tell you about that. I, I went to see Mr. Tweed today, and he's going to make Father Superintendent again. So, he won't be needing to be that far, and so, yeah, he doesn't do it. I see. 
You just walked in, Mr. Tweed, and had him put your father back on. You must know him pretty well. Oh, no, I don't. But he was awfully nice. And I suppose you're going to run down there tonight to tell him how nice he is. Well, why shouldn't I? He's asked me to have supper with him, and I think he is nice. But I told you what sort of man he is. You told me a lot of things you can't even prove. Look! Oh, look, it's silly for us to be yelling at each other. If we can't agree on Tweed, we, well, we just won't discuss him. But I don't want you to go down there tonight. Oh, we won't discuss it. We'll just do it your way, is that it? Well, you're not going to tell me what to do or what sort of friends to me. Rosie, if you'll just listen I'm to me sorry. for a minute. I don't believe I have time. Well, I didn't sleep very much that night. And the next day was worse. Until I received a note from Rosie. Dear John, it said, I'm very sorry. Do you think we could have supper together at 8 o'clock at Bedford House? I was there before 8, walking on air again. And I suppose the head waiter was slightly puzzled. May I thank you, sir? No, thanks. If I can help you, just let me know. Uh, yes. Did you have a reservation? Oh, yes. I had several until tonight. Oh, yes. Now they're all gone. I haven't the slightest doubt about her anymore. She's, well, she's perfect. You were expecting a lady? Oh, believe me, that doesn't even begin to describe her. The air seems fresh, the lights grow bright, the walls are charged with dynamite. The artificial flowers bloom when she walks in the room. The statues smile, the curtains wave, the big stuff cell becomes his slave. The antique clock begins to boom when she walks in the room. The family album opens and relatives galore. Look up and smile like angels. They never smiled before. I'll take them. As long as my other fellow isn't here to see me. Well, Miss Moore. Why, it's Mr. Tweed. What a delightful surprise, my dear. Hello, Matthew. Nice to see you. Hello. I was just on my way to dinner. Won't you join me? Uh, Mr. Tweed, are you sure this is a delightful surprise or is it just delightful? <laughs> You're a very shrewd young man. Yeah. Yeah, frankly, Miss Moore and I did plan this meeting. I want to talk to you. Oh, really? Well, about what? Well, I fancy myself a bit of a critic, Matthews, and it's my opinion that you could write a book. A book that would live. Yeah, I'd like to make it possible for you to do so. Uh, financially, I presume? Yeah. And naturally, you'd expect me to quit the Times while I was writing this book. Naturally. Well, it's a tempting offer, Mr. Tweed, but I'm afraid I'll have to turn you down. Oh, John, you're being... I know. I'm being stupid. 
But if some of us don't go on being stupid, your friend here will steal the whole country. Now, look, Matthews, don't you Mr. think... Mr. Tweed, you... I'm sure... Excuse me if I don't accept the dinner invitation. Miss Moore, the next time you make an engagement with me, be sure and tell me who's coming with you. Don't worry. There won't be any next time. Mr. Tweed, shall we go into dinner? Of course, my dear. I should be charmed. The weeks after that were pure misery. Rosie being seen about more and more with Tweed at restaurants, theaters, all sorts of gay parties. And I wasn't the only one who was hit. Rosie's father had finally seen the light. I tell you, John, I'm going to quit my job. I take no more favors from that thieving rascal. Oh, I wish she could make Rosie feel that way. Ah, uh, not her. She'll not listen to the smallest word against him. She's bewitched with the glitter of the man. Beyond the fine promises he's made her. No, sir, she'll not be convinced that Tweed is in prison. I must cancel that right now, I'm afraid. Tweed's been too clever at covering his tracks. Well, why can't he be just as smart as he is? After all, we're educated men, aren't you? I wish I knew a way. I'm telling you, we know where the money goes in. All we have to do is to find where it comes out. And how do we do that? Do we just go down to the city hall and ask to see the book? No, that wouldn't be very intellectual, would it? Mm. On the other hand, we might go down to the city hall and take a look at the books without us. Oh, they put people in jail for breaking the places, especially city hall. Still, the way I see it, the odds are even. If they catch us, we go to jail. If they don't catch us, they go to jail. Would you try it, lad? What do you think? Well, it was a long chance, and I suppose we were both a little desperate. And that it might never have paid off if it hadn't been for his honor, the mayor. He was snooping around his office when he walked in, though walk doesn't exactly describe it. You see, his honor, the mayor, was rather drunk. What's the meaning of this? Matthews, what are you doing in my office? Well, I can explain it all, Your Honor. Yes, you see, we come down to see you this afternoon, and you weren't here, sir. So we thought... I uh, think I'm too drunk to catch on, huh? Think I'm too drunk to... What did you come to see me about? Well, no, uh, uh, you see, it was about... I, I, I wanted to get a statement, Your Honor. We, we were so shocked to hear you planned to resign. What's that? Resign? What are you talking about? Oh, didn't you know? Tweet has told a lot of people you're through. True? That's what he said. Oh, but he couldn't have. Bill wouldn't do a thing like that to me. He better not try. Not with what I know. What do you know? Oh, I know plenty, I tell you. I know everything. I've got a copy of every single transaction he and the rest will ever made. Now, wait a minute. Let me open this safe. I'll show you things will make your hair stand on end. I'll show you enough to put them all in jail. I'll show you enough to tear this whole town apart. How did she take it, Mr. Moore? What did she say when she saw the headlines? Not very much. She just said she didn't believe it. She'd have to hear him admit it himself. You mean she went down to see Tweed? Ah, don't worry, man. Why the feeling the glitter is all gone now? Look, there she is, coming across the path now. Would you, would you rather I thought her disappear? Well, uh, well, could you? I mean... <laughs> sure, lad. I was young, this was one. Good luck, my God. Rosen. I suppose you've come to say I told you so. 
Well, go ahead and say it and get it over. Oh, I didn't come here to say that at all. I I only came to tell you how much I love you. You needn't think I'm ashamed. I haven't done anything to be ashamed of. Of course you haven't. Of course you haven't. Lots of people were fooled by tweeds. You mean not even angry with me? Well, how can I be? I just told you I love you. Oh, John. John, you're positively stopping. Rosie. Rosie, listen. The carousel. Remember, darling. Oh, I don't think I ever forgot. The stately old trees waltz around the breeze near the small carousel in the park. Screen Guild microphone in just a moment. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette, according to a nationwide survey. Three leading independent research organizations asked 113,597 doctors what cigarettes they smoked. The brand name most was camel. Of course, doctors smoke for relaxation and enjoyment, just as everyone else does. And millions of smokers have learned that camels' rich, full flavor and cool, cool mildness bring them greatest smoking enjoyment. Try a camel on your T-zone, that T-shaped area that includes your taste and throat, where you judge any cigarette. See how your taste is delighted by camels' rich, full flavor. See what your throat reports about camels' cool, cool mildness. special word of thanks to our stars. Deanna and Dick, you've made our evening a very happy one. Well, Mike, we know that the proceeds from this show help support the Motion Picture Relief Fund and its country house and hospital. Believe me, it's always a pleasure right. to appear here. Right, Dick? Right. 
And I just want to offer an, an amendment. Each week, the makers of Camel cigarettes send free smokes to the men and servicemen's hospitals. This week, among other hospitals, free camels are being sent to Veterans Hospital, Knoxville, Iowa, U.S. Army and Navy General Hospitals, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and U.S. Marine Hospital, Ellis Island, New York. Happy smoking, fellas. Your free camels are on their way to you now. Good night, everybody. Good night. Each week, the Screen Guild players start their summer vacation. And, of course, they'll be back again for camel cigarettes in the fall. But meanwhile, remember, the camels will be on the air all summer. The Camel Caravan starring Bon Monroe will be heard over this network every Monday night, a half hour earlier than you've been hearing the Screen Guild players. It will be a weekly swing around the country to pick up your favorite tunes and cities and towns from coast to coast. And with Bon Monroe in the driver's seat, it promises you a lot of delightful summer listening. Look for it. The Camel Caravan starring Bon Monroe over this network next Monday night. Up in Central Park was directed by Bill Lawrence and adapted for radio by Harry Cronman with music conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Dick Hames appeared through the courtesy of Autolite. Deanna Durbin and Dick Hames can now be seen in the Universal International's up in Central Park. This is Michael Roy in Hollywood saying good night and won't you have a camel? This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> One comic number in the stage show, The Birds and the Bees, concerning the facts of life, was deemed too suggestive for filming by the production code administrators. In addition, code guidelines would not permit the boss tweed character to sing as he attempted to seduce Rosie Moore. So the filmed Courier and Ives ballet was presented instrumentally, absent the vocal contribution by Boss Tweed. Today's star, Deanna Durbin, was a child actress who made her first appearance with Judy Garland in Every Sunday in 1936 and subsequently signed a contract with Universal Studios. Her success as the ideal teenage daughter in films such as Three Smart Girls in 1936, One Hundred Men and a Girl in 1937, and It Started with Eve in 1941, was credited with saving the studio from bankruptcy and led to Durbin being awarded the Academy Juvenile Award in 1938. Dick Hames teamed with female vocalist Helen Forrest for many hit duets during World War II, including the songs Together, I'll Buy That Dream, and Long Ago and Far Away. From 1944 through 48, he had his own radio program, The Dick Hames Show, first on NBC and later on CBS. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber. Michael Weber